Amen. Amen. Well, I get the joy of uh, turning our attention now to our sermon series that we've been walking through over the past few weeks that we've titled Spirit-Filled Family. Spirit-Filled Family. And we got this title directly from the Bible itself, specifically found in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to Ephesians 5. And we're going to jump right into these verses here today. We'll start with verse 18, and we'll work our way all the way to 25, just doing some quick recap, and we'll land on verse 25 today. So if you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. If you're hungry, say, Chiefs. I mean, let's eat. All right? <laughs> let's eat. Okay. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Look at the person next to you and say, be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another. I want to talk, just talk a little bit about that for a second. It says, spirit-filled living. If we really want to apply these verses and live filled with the Spirit, it says, be filled, filled to the brim, filled to the top, cup running over, filled with the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, this is what that's going to look like. It's going to look like addressing one another, that God set us up for community. That we, I'm glad that certain people are sitting next to each other today because that's how God set it up for us to be connected. Addressing one another, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Looks like addressing and singing and then giving. God's a giver, isn't he? He gave his son. He gave us life. He gave us, come on, take a deep breath. He gave us breath. He gave us air, he gave us lungs, he gave us a heart. We should thank him for that, thanking always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And usually we stop right there. But there's another ing word. Singing, making, giving, addressing, and submitting. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It says submission should be a regular part of the Christian community. That we should have this actually this model of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We have such a reverence and a fear and a love for Christ that if it invades our relationships and we even submit to each other. Because James 4 says, first we submit to God. It says, resist the devil by submitting to God. The word submit means I'm putting myself under the leadership and authority of God. So God, that means, hey, I'm going to follow you. I'm submitted to you. Right? And says we should have that relationship to each other as brothers and sisters in faith. But then he moves into a second part of this text where he says that should start in the family. So a family biblically is a spirit-filled family that has the topic of submission within it. He jumps right from verse 21 into 22 and he says let's start in the home, in the, in the family. For example, wives, submit to your own husbands. We talked about that for the past few weeks about what it looks like for wives to submit to their own, not to everybody's husband, praise the Lord, but to their own husband as to the Lord. He's saying, wives, honor the Lord by submitting to your husband. And husbands, uh, be an expression of the Lord to your wives as she honors you. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, which is what we should all be doing, right? 
Submission shouldn't be a weird topic. The church, we are the church. If you know Jesus Christ, you are a part of his church. The church is not a building. In fact, this is a school. But this is the church here at the school because we're the people. The church is filled with the called out ones, the saints of God who have identified with Christ. We get placed into his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, right? The body of Christ. And now we are submitted to the leader. And, 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 and Paul says, yeah, that's a picture of the married life. So the same way the church submits to Christ-like leadership, wives should submit to their husbands, and the husbands should de- demonstrate Christ-like leadership. So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We identified what that looks like. Pastor Mike preached a good word on this message, and that everything is everything outside of any type of sin or abuse whether that be physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, any type of abuse, we don't stand for it, we don't condone it, we actually call that out. And we would actually say here at Walk Church, if there is that type of abuse in your home that you need to get help and you need to separate yourself from that situation. But other than that, sin and abuse, the scripture would say, husbands, love and lead your wives in a Christ-like way and wives, submit yourselves to their leadership in everything. The first continues now on to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I want to preach a message this morning that I'm titled Spirit-Filled Husbands. Spirit-Filled Husbands. <laughs> I sense something from the ladies like, yeah, <laughs> done with this, the, these other verses. Time to get into these ones. We've been waiting for these ones. <laughs> and in all holistically... The Bible is the Bible. We, we, we are not reinventing anything. We're just we're allowing God to draw our lines for us. Sometimes people say, hey, Hayden, what's your opinion on this? I say, what does my opinion matter? My opinion, I, here's my, my opinion, whatever God says. And praise God, he says a lot. 66 books, this Bible is a library of God wisdom. Lean into that. He draws my lines for me. What's your stance on marriage? What did God say? What's your stance on abortion? What did God say? Right? I know these are tough, tough issues, but it doesn't matter what my opinion is or what your opinion is. Essentially, what we're asking is, what's your opinion on the Bible? At Walk Church, we would say the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, perfect word of God, good for us here today to learn from God, to know God, fully revealing everything about the person and character of God, and it'd be wise for us to listen to his word. Amen? Amen? And that's what we're doing here at Walk Church. We are a Bible-believing Jesus-loving church, and we, we preach expository through the Bible, which means we just go to the next verse. So if you're a husband in the room and you've been struggling, I, I didn't pick this verse for you. God did. This was the next verse in the chapter, okay? That's all that is. And be reminded, these are my quick disclaimers, I got to get them out, okay? Uh, that this letter to the Ephesian church is written to the church, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 says, the Apostle Paul writing to the saints in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. Paul is is assuming that this letter would land on spirit-filled believers. I say that to say that I'm aware that maybe you're not spirit-filled in the room today. Maybe you're not saved yet in the room today. I pray that today would be your day that you take that step, submit and surrender yourself to Jesus and jump in the game. He loves you. He's got a calling on your life. Um, But if you're not there yet, some of the stuff we share may not make sense. 
I'm just going to go ahead and give you that disclaimer right now. It might be countercultural to your framework, but this isn't your framework marriage. This is spirit-filled marriage. And so we're asking, what does that look like? And that's what he's talking about here. So let's go ahead and get to know this one verse well. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I want to start just with a quote that spoke to me. I have actually shared it before, but I, I want to bring our attention back to this reality as we talk about marriage because it's important that we remember who invented marriage. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary, says, The place to begin in any discussion of marriage is with the fact that marriage is God's idea and that it is a good idea. It's a good idea because it comes from God who never had a bad idea. And we should always remind ourselves that we're talking about something that God invented and created. The first ever marriage was found in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, and it was it was officiated by God in the Garden of Eden with one man and one woman, a man named Adam and a woman named Eve. And God said, this is a beautiful picture of marriage. So as we look at Ephesians 5, verse 25, we start with this word, husbands. The, the focus shifts from wives to now speaking directly to Husbands. What is a husband? Well, the Greek word that was actually used in this text was the word anir. The word anir means a male by way of gender who is married to a gune, which is a woman who is married. I just think it's really important that we capture that because I don't want to ever fail the test of uh, not being clear. I don't want to be insensitive, but I, just want, I really want to be clear that this is not a scripture that you can mess up. It says, a near male men that are married. Love your, not, it doesn't say a near again, it says gune. And so the Bible is clear on this issue that a biblical picture of spirit-filled marriage, which is what we're talking about, is men and women who have covenanted together, one man, one woman, a near gune, covenanting together, in the, in the sight of God, in a covenant relationship that says we're going to stay together forever. This is a spirit-filled marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, we see this lived out. God creates Adam. Adam gets bored naming the animals. Adam gets tired of just kind of picking fruit and taking care of the garden. And God says, it's not good that this dude's alone. He needs help. He needs a whole lot of help. And God might be saying that about a lot of you here today. If you live life alone, God may really look at you today and say, man, you need help. I need to bring you into some community. Join a charge group. Get around some good friends. He might even open you up to a relationship. Praise the Lord for that. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the first ever verse on marriage. God says, here's my, here, I'm, Adam, I'm going to give you the vows. Adam, here's the, how, how this is going to work. Eve, this is how it's going to work. <laughs> how about this? What, what father and mother did Adam and Eve leave? God's like, I'm just giving you a picture of what this is going to look like so that walk church can be clear. God's saying, hey, Adam, this is your primary calling. To the husbands in the room today, your primary call outside of your love relationship with Jesus 
is your love relationship with your wife. To your husbands, husbands, this is going to hurt somebody, but I really hope it helps somebody. Your primary call is not to mom, and we love mom. Your primary call is not to dad, and we love dad. Your primary call is not to grandma or nana or whatever you call her, and we love them. Come on, your primary call is not to your dog. I know you love your dog. Your primary call is not to your sports team, and I know you love your sports team. Your primary call is not to your bank account. Your primary call is not to your church. Your call is actually to leave and to hold fast to your wife that God has given you. That, that, that's what God has called you to do. They shall become one flesh. <laughs> How about uh, uh, it was God that took this one man and he said, I'm going to make them two. But in the marriage, he takes the two and then makes them one. And God says, I'm doing something beautiful in marriage. It's actually going to be the picture of the church. That the picture will be the symbolic relationship of Christ and his bride, the church. We're, we're a picture of marriage here today. So that's a word for somebody, husbands. Love your wife by holding fast to her. And if you have to leave certain relationships, don't leave harshly. Don't leave in a mean-spirited way. Leave in a gentle and loving and honoring way. But hold fast to your wife above all. That's the, that's the command that God gave to Adam in the beginning of the world. And I love what Jesus says because sometimes people say, well, Jesus didn't say that. He absolutely did. In fact, Jesus was the one that said, don't change it. In Matthew 19 and Matthew 22, when the scribes and the Pharisees tried to ask Jesus about marriage, Jesus said, you guys, didn't you, don't you read your Bibles? <laughs> Genesis 2, God says, husbands, right, hold fast to your wives. And he, Jesus, then he adds, and don't change it. And so who are we, right, to misrepresent Christ? And to start changing things that he's hold fast to himself. It says, husbands, love your wives. Now, I think that this is a, a really interesting moment. It's important that we bolded this part because it says, husbands, love your wives. I think that some of you, including me, could potentially be tempted during this message to think, okay, we just spent two weeks no, we spent three weeks. We, we spent three weeks talking about this word submission. What does it mean to submit? What does it not mean to submit? We talked about what does it submit to mean, mean to submit to one another. We talked about what does it submit to, to your husbands and everything. You might be tempted to think this next verse would say, husbands, lead your wives. You might be tempted to think this verse should say, husbands, now teach your wives. Husbands, instruct your wives. Husbands, command your wives because she's supposed to submit. But what does it say? Husbands. Come on, read it with me. Husbands. One more time. Husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Spirit-filled marriage is a picture of husbands loving their wives. This is a big, big deal. God wants us to really understand what this means. When he says, husbands, love your wives, it's important that we know the definition of this word love. 
This word love is the Greek word agapeo. Agapeo, which is the word, the, the verb for agape. The, the noun agape is what this type of love is. To agapeo is to actually use that love. And here's the definition of agapeo love. Read this definition with me. Ready? One, two, three. To love unconditionally and sacrificially as God himself loves sinful men. Wow, what a definition. From Precept Austin, this quality of love is not an emotion, but is an action initiated by a volitional choice. What does it mean for husbands to agapeo their wives? Here's what it means. It means that I'm committing and covenanting to you. Unconditional, sacrificial, as God himself loves sinful people type of love. No amens. This, this quality of love is not an emotion. No amens. But is an action initiated. Okay, okay good. Y'all with me. By a, I didn't know. I'm not sure I amended either, right? By a volitional choice. That is what this type of love is. It's important that we understand this because our English language falls short of what the original intent of the author was. See, because we have just one view of the word love. We just have the one word, love. But in the original language that this was written, there was three different words to describe love. Let me put them on the screen for you. There's three different ways. There's eros love. So if the verse said, husbands, eros your wives. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, man. Whoa. That was quick. I didn't even finish the statement. That is where we get our English word erotic. It is a sexual love that is only, everybody say only. Only, only to be exhibited in the context of a marriage. Okay. Eros love is a love that has a big X off limits if you're not married, okay? So it would not be appropriate for you to go up to somebody and say, I eros you. If y'all not married, if you guys are married, utilize this word. All right, let, let, me, uh, let me move on. There's another form of love. It's phileo. Everybody say phileo. If Jesus were to say in Ephesians 5.25, husbands, phileo your wives, that would mean, hey, love your wife like a friend, like a brother, like a, like a, like a sister. It, it's a word that's often based off of a shared affinity. In other words, I would say today, man, I love Kobe. But not like I love my wife. Does that make sense? Like, I honestly don't really know Kobe like that. Like, I don't... I, I, I love chilies, chips, and salsa. That would be a phileo love. It's, where, it's why the city is named Philadelphia, which is known as the city of brotherly love. It's a phileo love. There's friendship, there's brotherhood, sisterhood. Hey, I love you, bro. I, you know, we say that on the phone sometimes. Hey, I love you, man. Love you, sis. It, it's the love that you share for even potentially a, a family member and a, and, and a tight friend. There's eros love, there's phileo love. It's not to say that eros and phileo love shouldn't be exhibited in a marriage. They both should be. You should have both of those loves in a spirit-filled marriage. But friends, hear me on this one. That's not what Ephesians 5.25 says. Nor is it what John 3.16 says. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world... 
It doesn't say God so eros. That's weird. It doesn't say God so phileoed. No. He went beyond that. It says God so agape the world that he gave his only son. Agape is unconditional love. It's a choice. It's not based off feelings or emotions. It says husbands, aneers, men who are married, and aspiring men who are about to get married really listen and lean into this message. And for men who are single that one day want to be married, lean in and listen to this message. And for single men who don't really care about being married, lean in and listen to this message. (laughs) This is a message for everybody in the room today. Agape love is a picture of Christ in the church. Right? Jesus says, the same way I agape loved you, you should love agape one another. Unconditional love, a choice not based off feelings or emotions. Can I give you a reality statement? Let me give you the first reality statement of this. There is no such thing as falling out of love. If you hear somebody ever say, man, I just fell out of love, say, man, that doesn't even make sense. Because when it comes to agape love, what you're really saying is you just stopped choosing to love. That's what you're saying. When you say, man, I just fell out of love, that just means I just stopped choosing. There's no no such thing as falling in love. You don't just fall into agape. I'm in agape. I'm in agape. No, agape is, agape is saying, at, at one point, this is a God word, at one point God said, I'm going to choose to love you no matter what. Yes. Tell me why God would do that. I don't know. That's why we're so passionate about singing about grace. The definition of grace is an undeserved gift from God. God said this. It's not going to be about what you do or don't do. I'm going to love you anyway. That's agape. God doesn't say, man, the moment that God says, hey, hi, and I fell out of love with you, bro. Sorry, you're not going to heaven. (laughs) Do you ever find that? This is a picture of marriage. It says, husbands, agape your wives. Love is not something you fall into like a ditch, and love is not something you catch like a cold. Love is something that you choose every moment of every day, spirit-filled husbands. Because that's something that Jesus models every day for us. Love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Uh, One of my greatest pictures that I've found in the Bible that give us the clear picture of what agape love looks like practically. Can I show it with you? Can I share it with you? It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's look at this verse together. In fact, let's read it together. Because this is the word agape. I mean, there's other times in the Bible where a different word for love is used. You know, even, for example, in John 21, Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. And Jesus says, I didn't ask you that. So Jesus asks him again. I, Peter, but, but do you agape, are you, do you have unconditional choice love for me, even if somebody tells on you that you're a follower of me? And he says, Lord, I promise you I'm a phileo you. You're my bro, Jesus. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus said, you phileo me? And he said, I phileo you. Peter never said, I agape love you. In that text. And Jesus said, all right, 
Let's keep going. I wonder if Peter could look back and say, man, I should have chose agape there. I should have. This is agape. Agape is, say it with me, patient. Agape is, agape is, agape does, envy. Agape does not, agape is not, agape does not, agape is not, oh man, that's a good one. Some of y'all didn't, y'all stayed silent on that one. Very self-seeking of you. It, yeah, yeah, you're like, I'm not saying I'm not lying. God, how about this one? Let's see, let me, let's see, let's see the response. Agape is not, woo, agape keeps, this is getting harder and harder. I've, some of y'all got file drawers, y'all got all the records. Some of your marriages, and I'm guilty of this too, you're just waiting on the moment to pull it out. Just say the wrong thing so I can, bam, you did this, you did that, you did this, you did that. That's not Agape. This might help somebody here. Come on, just I'm waiting for you to fall because the minute you do, I'm going to use a, your, your, your record of wrongs as a weapon. That's not agape. Love does not with the truth. Love, agape love, rejoices with the truth. So if somebody's in sin, hear me, if somebody's living in sin, and you let them live in sin, you are not agape loving them. Because love does not delight in evil. And if that person says, man, you must not love me. But like, no, that, this is a picture of love. In fact, Proverbs 28 says, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. It's a word for our culture today. I know so many people that are very quiet and secretive. They never want to correct. They never want to offend in the name of love. They say, man, I want to hide my love by not saying anything to you that may cause you to think or change. But that's not love. Actually, that's cowardly. That's not real, friends. That's Judas. Right? Jesus is like, surround me with somebody who's going to keep it real with me. Right? There was somebody here in our church earlier. He didn't know it, but he had a little icing stain right here from a cupcake in the back. Praise God. I said, hey, bro, come here. You got some icing on you. Oh, man, appreciate you, man. Thank you, right? we got to be doing that for each other. Right? That's a light, light way to say it, but sometimes it's like, yo, you're living in sin, man. I can't let you do that anymore because I love you. Because I love you. I can't let you run off that cliff. I love you. I agape love you, even if it hurts. Rejoices with the truth. But make sure you do it in this way. Agape truth is also kind. Amen? Agape truth is also patient. We need a holistic agape. Because sometimes people say, in the name of the truth. And I'm like, what happened to the first part? Jeez. Good night. We need a full agape. And all these really are just a picture of Jesus. The more of Christ you have inside of you, the more of the perfect, powerful life of Christ, the more you'll be able to live the agape love. Agape always. Agape always. Agape always. Agape always, agape, agape never fails. It's always the agape love in this text. I've studied it. I was looking for a different word there. So now it says husbands do that. Here's what I want you to do. I want, you to, I want, I want to give you a test, all right? I want to give you a test, and it's going to be a hard test. 
You're going to fail the test. I'm going to fail the test. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't retake it tomorrow. All right? Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to put the next slide up. Husbands, I want you to insert your name. It says, it says, it says husbands, love your wives. Husbands, agape your wives. I want you to say, I'm going to try it. Oh, no, I know I shouldn't do it. Hayden is patient. I'm going to call it. Mike is kind. <laughs> Dean does not envy. Come on. Miles does not boast. All right? I'm going to start calling everyone. Is not proud. Hayden does not dishonor others. Hayden is not self-seeking. Hayden is not easily angered. Hayden keeps no record of wrongs. Hayden does not delight. This is my calling. This is our calling. Let me give you a word. Husbands in the room, listen to me. If you're watching this line, listen to me. Husbands, if you strive for this, your wife will strive for submission. It won't be as hard and tough and difficult and painful for your wife to say, I can submit to that. Now, now wives, even if your husband's not, he doesn't go eight for eight on all these the text right before this says, submit to, yourself, to your husbands in everything, unless it's sin or abuse. Definitely don't submit to that. That's not the, the Lord. That's sin. But, but I'll tell you what, husbands, I've found that Nina is more willing to joyfully submit to me when I'm living the agape loves, patient, kind, not envying, not boastful. Not being prideful, not dishonoring others. That's a word for the church today. I really feel like our, this church in general just needs to grow in honoring one another. We need to grow in a spirit of honor. That's an agape love thing. Remember, this verse actually wasn't written to married couples. This verse was written to the Corinthian church. The church in Corinth struggled with all types of stuff. And basically, Paul was like, y'all got a love problem at church. No one's patient anymore. People are being rude. People are being envious. People are boasting about what? Paul says, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast about Christ. Pridefulness, dishonoring others, self-seeking. Whoa, man, oh, man. Love is not self-seeking. We're about to see a picture of what that looks like. Tim Keller says it like this. He says, men, you'll never be a good groom to your wife unless you're a first a good bride to Jesus. That, that you have to get consumed with the agape love of Christ. That you, if you're going to fall into anything, fall deeper into the agape love of Christ. And, and you'll see Christ begin to love your wife through you. This is what the word of God is teaching us here today. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So, we see love your wives, but now we see the picture of agape love lived out. Paul doesn't leave us hanging and he just expects us to get it. He actually gives us clear instructions on how to do it. He says, look, let me give you the model. 1 Corinthians 13 is good, but I'll give you one that's better. It's Christ loved the church. How does Christ love the church? I mean, I think he lives out all those words, love, it's patient, kind, never fails. Not self-seeking. How does Jesus love us? Come on, give me some one-word answers. Just shout them out. What's one word how Christ loves you? He died for us. Husbands, you're willing to die for your wife. 
What else? How, what's another way that the, the Lord loves you? He forgives you. Husbands, forgive your wife. Woo! Come on, what's some other ways? One word. Sacrifice. Intentionally. Anything else? Patience. Serves. Serves. Washes us. Cleanses us. Unconditional love from Christ. That we cannot outsin the love of Christ. Therefore, your wives shouldn't be able to outsin your love for her. If you have agape love. But I'm afraid that some of our marriages are just limited to phileo love. That you guys function more as friends or even worse, potentially as sex partners rather than agape love. And you need to get your word right. You may need to repent of the other two. The other two fall far behind the first one. It says, husbands, agape love your wife. It's really important that we, that we get this and we, we get to know it well. I was reading in the expositor's Bible commentary. He says it like this. Agapeo does not denote affection or romantic attachment. It rather denotes caring love, a deliberate attitude of mind that concerns itself with the well-being of the one loved. Self-devotion, not self-satisfaction, is the dominant trait. Paul chooses the verb agapeo to insist that the love of a Christian man for his wife must be a response to an expression of the love of God in Christ extended to the church. He's saying that here. When it comes to this agape love for the church, that husbands, you should get all of your methods and practice from Christ. How does Jesus love the church? It's not a choice. It's not a feeling thing or an emotion. It is, in fact, a choice to love your wife in that way. To quote from Tim Keller one more time, I love how Keller says, he says, in sharp contrast with our culture, the Bible teaches that the essence of marriage is a sacrificial commitment to the good of the other. Man, let me go ahead and repeat that again. In sharp contrast with our culture, the Bible teaches that the essence of marriage is a sacrificial commitment to the good of the other. That means that the love is more fundamental action than the emotion. Can I give you one more defining statement? Let me give you one more defining statement. Feelings follow actions. This is like some free marriage counseling right now. I get that you might not feel it. But if you just go for it anyway, your feelings will catch up. Your, your feelings come and go, don't they? I mean, how many types of different ways do we feel throughout the day? Like sometimes we feel good, sometimes we feel bad, sometimes we feel healthy, sometimes we feel sick, sometimes we feel excited, and the next moment we feel down. Here, try it in the game today. Like, yes, no! What? Yes, there it is. No, no, no. Don't do that. Why do you do that? Why did the coach do that? Good move, good call. That's coaching right there. All in the same two minutes. Like, you're, don't trust your feelings, please. Like, talk to your feelings. Like, don't do it in, like, a weird way, like, out loud. Like, but just sometimes I'll be like, yo, feelings, shut up. It's not true. Our, our feelings are sinful. Our feelings are flawed. That's why we have to continue to get out of the way, crucify our flesh, 
so that Christ can live in and through us. I, I received this word from, from Pastor Vance Pittman, who's a mentor and pastor in my life. And I remember I was meeting with Pastor Vance when uh, I was getting ready to get married to Nina. And I said, okay, Pastor Vance, here's my number one question. How do I live out Ephesians 5.25? How do I love my wife as Christ loved the church? Let's see if we can put this slide on the screen from Pastor Vance. This is what he said to me. He said, the only way to love your wife as Christ loves the church is to realize you can't. I was like, what does that mean? He said, only Christ can love like that. Therefore, you need to continuously get out of the way so Christ can live and love through you. Amen? You, you can't do it on your own. You don't have that type of love in you. you you're not that loving. You're probably an average lover. <laughs> Did I say that? Sorry. But Christ... He is the personification of agape love. Jesus is himself love. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. So therefore, come on, y'all stay with me. Focus. You have to get out of the way, husbands. Every day you have to tell your feelings and your emotions because they sometimes won't be there, especially if your wife's messing up like the church often messes up. I think the hardest calling on anybody is to husbands because the example is Jesus' death on a cross. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Here's what the pulpit commentary says. Pulpit commentary says, this parallel restores the balance. If it should seem hard for the wife to be in subjection, the spirit of love, Christ-like love on the part of the husband makes the duty easy. Christ did not merely pity the church or merely desire her good, but loved her. Her image was stamped on his heart and her name graven on his hands. He desired to have her for his companion, longing for a return of her affection, for the establishment of sympathy between her and him. And he gave himself for her, showing that her happiness and welfare were dearer to him than his own, the true test of deep, real love. R real love, amen, is when husbands say, even though I don't feel it, even though I don't sense it, even though I'm mad at you, I'm going to choose any way to love you. That is this type of love. That is a agape love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let's finish this verse up. It finally finishes with husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus gave himself. There's even a text where Jesus says, nobody's going to put me to death. I can stop this at any moment. Even James and John say, hey, Jesus, look, you know what would be really, really dope? If you just called lightning down from heaven and just blew this thing up right now, I, I know you could do it. And Jesus is like, man, yeah, I could. But y'all don't get the heart of God. It's not the time for that right now. It's the time for me to love unconditionally. And Jesus says, nobody takes my life. I willingly give it myself. Jesus says, I'm not scared of no Roman soldiers, please. I'm not scared of King Herod, please. I, I made these people. 
I'm not scared of Pontius Pilate. I'm definitely not scared of a wooden cross. I'm a carpenter. I work with nails. I'm not scared of that stuff. Jesus says, I'm willingly sacrificing my life for my church so that sinners can get saved and so husbands will know how to love. It's what Jesus is doing at the cross. This is the gospel. Jesus willingly gives himself up for her. Who's her? That's us. Jesus gave himself for you so that you could get set free, you could get moved out of the category of sinner and placed into the category of saint. That's what God did for you, for me. He satisfied the wrath of God so that we could be be saved. So, So husbands, love and lead sacrificially your wives. And wives, just as the church submits to Christ, wives, submit to your husbands in their loving leadership. Don't use these verses as a weapon toward each other. Husbands, don't say, you need to submit to me. Wives, don't say, you need to, you need to lay your life down for me. Just do it, y'all. The Bible was never meant to be a weapon. The Bible was meant to be a word. The word, it brings healing. Lay, lay your life down. Give yourself up for That means that there's going to be times, husbands, where you don't get to do everything you want to do. You got to give something up. I really feel like true love is when you got to give something up. You got to sacrifice something to love somebody. And husbands, you got to give up yourself so that you can sacrificially love your wife. And may all the wives in the room lovingly, joyfully leap at the idea of submission. That spirit filled marriage. That's what the Bible paints for us. And that's how we should live as Christ and the church. That we're the bride here today, which means we're in submission to you, Lord. We're following you. Wives should say, I'm in submission to you, husband. I'm following you. And husbands should say, I'm going to lay my life down for you. I'm going to love you the way Christ loves me. Patient, kind, not self-seeking. Love. If we can do that, we will see spirit-filled marriage happen right before our eyes. When I think of this phrase, give himself up for her, I think of Colossians 3.19, where a very similar verse is portrayed. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Here's why, because that's not what it looks like to give yourself up. Will we be perfect at it? Absolutely not. But do we have the perfect one to help us do it, 100%. That's what agape love looks like. So I wanna encourage, I wanna call, I wanna challenge all the husbands and the wives and the aspiring husbands and the wives to spirit-filled marriage. When I see this, and I'm closing right now, when I see husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them, I see an initiator. Do you know what I'm saying? Like who should be the primary initiator in the marriage? It should be husbands. So when there's an argument, there's a struggle, there's a disagreement, and you guys are about to go to sleep, and you just are so mad at each other, it's never the wife's job to initiate the apology. That's not what the church does. God says, the church is wilding out. (laughs) There is no church. God says, I'm sending Jesus 
He's going to initiate, 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 initiate to the cross. He willingly gave himself up for her. Jesus initiates the date night. Jesus initiates salvation. Jesus initiates sacrificial love. Jesus initiates the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus initiates the resurrection. Jesus initiates the ascension into heaven. Jesus gives us the word and initiates. Husbands, you're called to initiate, amen? Amen. And I wanna challenge you, that's your homework for this week. What does it look like for you to be a better initiator wrapped in agape love? That's what it looks like for husbands to love their wives. It's Christ loves the church. Let's pray. Help us, Father. This is not easy to do, but since when did you call us to easy? God, I pray for all the married couples in the room that they would commit themselves to spirit-filled marriage. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. And Jesus, be the center of them all. Just be the center. God, if there's anybody here today that stumbled into church and that's not saved, that's not part of your bride, may they know that you initiated them, that you sent them a friend request, that you initiated love, and you have invited them into a loving relationship with you. Jesus, if there's anybody that needs to repent, may they do it now. May they fix their eyes on Jesus and get saved. If that's you right now, I don't want to miss the moment. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if right now you need to get saved, if you need to fall into the agape love of Christ and surrender and submit your life to him right now, would you just lift your hand? If that's you, you came here to church today and you recognize you're a sinner that's in need of salvation. There's people responding in the room right now. Father, I pray for everybody making a decision to get saved today. You've initiated it. You're going to bring them through. I pray that they would surrender their lives to you. Right now, just call upon the name of the Lord and say, Jesus, save me. I confess that you're the Lord and Savior of my life. I believe in my heart that you died for my sin. I believe in my heart that you rose from the grave. I believe that you're coming again. Fill me with your spirit, God. Fill me with your presence, God. I'll walk with you forever. Make me the man or woman of God you've called me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Amen. Praise God for his grace in this place today.